sometimes a memory stays in my head and I don't really know why, like a little anecdote or I remember a conversation. And this anecdote kept coming up this week as I was studying the Parsha, the portion of this week, Balak. So I was on the M104 bus. It's a, it's a bus that goes um, you know, from downtown to uptown, or at least I was on the, the bus going north. And I was sitting near two guys. It was more than 20 years ago. And so what we used to do is listen to conversations instead of listen to our phones. Uh, and these two guys were talking. They were in an interesting conversation. And suddenly the bus stops. And the driver closes up the front and opens the middle doors because a person who was handicapped, who was in a wheelchair, had to get on the bus. So one of the guys said, wow, you know, the MTA is really not what it used to be. Like, they're really falling down on the job. And I'm looking at them, like, thinking, oh, my God, the bus is staying, is stopping for a handicapped person, and you think the MTA is falling down on the job? So, of course, I was full of judgment, and they were full of judgment as well. And um, it reminds me of this kind of Kabbalistic concept so there are two states of consciousness. One is mochin dekatnut, kind of restricted, narrowed consciousness. And one is mochin degadlut, expanded consciousness. So of course, they were in restricted consciousness and I was in expanded consciousness. <laughs> it turns out I wasn't because I was being all judgy. So this, Parsha, Parshat Balak, is all about restricted and expanded consciousness. And I think it could teach us a lot about how we navigate our lives. In it, there's a God who really tries to shift people from narrow consciousness to more expanded consciousness. So the Parsha op opens up with the king of one of the arch enemies of the Israelites, uh, whose name was Balak, king of the Moabites. And he sees the Israelites, and they're covering the earth, or at least in his eyes they are. And he's absolutely terrified. And he wants to figure out how can he defeat them. So he calls about upon this guy, Bilam. And Bilam is a kind of prophet at large, not an Israelite prophet, just a prophet. In fact, there's archaeological remains that refer to him and like use his name. So he seems to have been well known in the ancient Near East. So Balak feels existentially triggered or existentially threatened and maybe, you know, maybe what we call triggered at this point. And he sends lots of dignitaries, lots of people to Bil'am to say, I really want you to curse this people. And if you do, I'm going to reward you. So Bilam says, let me talk to my, you know, let me talk to my God here and talks to yud heh vav -Heh, which is the name of the Israelite God. And God says, no, you can't curse the Israelites because they are fundamentally blessed. You can't curse a people that is essentially and fundamentally blessed. So Balak didn't give up sent more dignitaries, more honorable dignitaries, and promised more rewards. And Bil'am goes back to, he says to the dignitaries, he's like, you know, stay here the night, and let me talk to these guys. I'm sorry, let, let me talk to my God. 
And you would think that Bil'am would say, no, I already spoke to God, God said no. But Bil'am says, you know, let me talk to God again. So like, what's going on here? It's almost like a persistent child who doesn't want to live with, right, the word no. So Bil'am asks God again, and this time God does say yes, very strangely, very mysteriously. And it reminds me perhaps of a child who asks and asks, and the parent knows the thing is not a good idea, but the parent finally says yes, so the child can discover what the consequences are. And Bil'am did, and so here's what happened. Bil'am goes on his trusty donkey one morning and is on the way to curse the Israelites. And then suddenly, the donkey stops. Or actually, no, the donkey first strays from the path to a field. And Bil'am is furious and starts to hit her. And um, then, so what's happening is the donkey, ironically enough, sees an angel of God in the way that Bil'am, the seer, doesn't see. So we've got a seer who doesn't see and a donkey who does see an angel of God. Very strange. And then again, the angel of God kind of traps the donkey and Bil'am. And this time in a very narrow place, in a vineyard between like, um, between fences and the donkey presses Bil'am against a fence and he kind of hurts his foot and he's furious and he keeps hitting the donkey. And then finally, the angel of God blocks the donkey entirely and the donkey can't even move forward, can't even go from side to side. The, the donkey drops to the ground and Bil'am just beats and beats that poor donkey. Right? So here's what happened. God finally opens the eyes of Bil'am and Bil'am sees the angel of God. And when God opens the eyes of Bil'am, God also opens the mouth of the donkey. And here's their conversation. She says to Bil'am, what have I done to you that you have struck me on these three occasions? So she's, you know, rightly kind of, you know, outraged about how Bilam's treating this donkey. And Bilam, furious with the donkey, responded, you have thwarted me, steering me off my path. I would have killed you if I could. And the donkey responded wisely. And this is what Roberta referred to in her poem today teaching this emotionally blind seer. She says, am I not your she-ass? Halo anochi atoncha, upon whom you have ridden from your past until this day. Asherachavta alai me'odcha ad hayom hazeh. Had I ever been accustomed, accustomed to do this, to do thus to you? Ha'hasken hiskanti la'asot l'chako? And he said, no, low. <laughs> okay, so now Bil'am has moved from restricted consciousness to a bit more of expanded consciousness, understanding what he's done to his donkey, but he's not really quite there yet because Balak hasn't given up. 
right? Balak still wants Bil'am to curse the Israelites. So Balak builds seven, um, seven altars. Actually, I'm sorry, before we get there, I just want us to think about this for a minute for ourselves. Life thwarts us in big and small ways, right? Buses are delayed, trains don't come on time, doctors keep us waiting, we get it stuck in traffic jams, and these are just the small potatoes. Of course, life throws us some big curveballs as well. Illness, loss, you know, mental illness, all kinds of suffering. But it's not only the world who thwarts us, or that thwarts us. Sometimes we actually thwart ourselves. This week I was really stuck on something. I kept avoiding it and avoiding it and avoiding it. And I didn't really know what was in my way. And in the process, I was beating myself up mercilessly. Like, why can't I do this stupid, th why can't I just do it, right? Kind of beating myself up the way Bill on beat his donkey. And then, because of studying this Parsha, I wondered to myself, huh, maybe I'm stuck for a reason. Maybe there's something in the way. Maybe there's something really dangerous out there. Or maybe there's an angel who wants to give me a message. And if we approach ourselves in this way, right, in this sort of compassionate, curious way, we might actually move out of our stuckness. Now, I have to confess, no easy answers came to me. I'm still not sure. But the approach felt so much more gentle and accepting and kind of allowed me to get a little bit unstuck. So when you're stuck, or you think someone or something is thwarting you, you might begin to wonder about what or who is in your way and what message they have for you. As opposed to dealing with others by force or by striking. And that's the, the beginning of moving from restricted consciousness to expansive consciousness, to wondering, to asking, to perhaps listening to angels. And I'm wondering if this wisdom has bigger implications for us right now. Tomorrow night is the 17th of Tammuz. We're moving to a fast day on Sunday. It's a one-day fast day. And it begins three weeks of a communal grieving, right? Grieving for first the, um, the breach of Jerusalem's walls and then ultimately the destruction of the first temple and the second temple and any, almost any other calamity you can think of in Jewish history. And this period of time is considered Bain HaMitzarim, between the straits. We're on a narrow path. Like Bil'am and his donkey, during these weeks, we were people with a restricted consciousness, suffering from a history of cumulative and collective trauma, destruction, and mass violence. And the beginning of this period, as I said, started with the breach of Jerusalem's walls. Of course, on January 6, 2021, we ourselves witnessed the breach of the Capitol. 
our people's house, in our very own time, history repeats itself in very strange ways. We are witness to so many breaches of what is sacred in these times. What can keep us steady as we navigate our way on this narrow path? What can help us move from fear and restricted consciousness to more expanded consciousness? So Bil'am blesses the people seven times. But for the first six times, he's still negotiating with Balak. He's still almost pretending that Balak is going to get what he wants. Finally, for the seventh time, Bil'am faces the wilderness instead of Balak. And it says, Vaya'ar Bil'am Kitov, and Bil'am saw that it was good. In the eyes of God to bless Israel. So Bil'am saw that it was good. This echoes right, God's creation of the world and God seeing that it was good. Right, so Bil'am finally became the prophet and seer that he was, right? seeing with God's eyes that it is good. So perhaps with everything, even with everything, we can see that it is good, that we are alive, that we are on this earth, that, there, that, that we are, that creation is always renewing itself. And here is Balaam's, is Balaam's um, blessing. And interestingly enough, it made it into our liturgy and we recite it every single morning. It goes like this. How goodly are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwellings, O Israel. Matovu. Oh, ha Yaakov, Mishkinoteho, So Bil'am gives up on manipulations. He gives up on bending the world to his will. He gives in to Adonai. It's a moment of surrender to yud Hey vav Hey, surrenders to the state of essential blessing which, to quote my friend Rabbi Sharon Cohn Anasweld, says it's about seeing, seeing the essential, wondrous goodness before us, lifting it up and giving it language, and putting ourselves in the breach to protect it. So again, let us bless. Let us sing this blessing along with Bil'am. Matovu. Oh, ha Yaakov, Mishkinoteha Israel. Matov.